0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله ذي العز المجيد والبطش الشديد المبدئ المعيد الفعال لما يريد المنتقم ممن عصاه بالنار بعد الإنذار بها والوعيد المكرم لمن خافه واتقاه بدار لهم فيها من كل خير مزيد فَسُبْحَانَ مَنْ قَسَّمَ خَلْقَهُ قِسْمَيْنِ وَجَعَلَهُمْ فَرِيقَيْنِ فَمِنْهُمْ شَقِيٌّ وَسَعِيدٌ مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا فَلِنَفْسِهُ وَمَنْ أَسَاءَ فَعَلَيْهَا وَمَا رَبُّكَ بِظَلَّامٍ لِلْعَبِيدِ So my dear brothers, sisters, listeners, several years ago we covered paradise in a lot of detail, the delights of paradise and this course, this series is up online on zamzamacademy.com and over the, over the course of the last few years, uh, there's been quite a few requests that we similarly cover Hellfire in detail. And so eventually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, enabled us to do this and we're basing this on uh, several different sources. But our main source is going to be a book by uh, Ibn Rajab al-Hambali who's a great uh, hanbali scholar uh, who died in uh, 795 approximately it's called at-takhwif min nar wa tarif bi hali dar al-bawar at-takhwif nar wa tarif bi dar bawar which basically takhwif means to frighten somebody to threaten somebody to create fear in someone so it's basically engendering creating fear from Hellfire, which is a very important aspect for us, and a ta'rif bi-hali daril bawar, which is to describe, to, to describe and define the state of this abode of destruction, abode of loss, destruction, misery, etc. He's going to describe that. So the author is <coughs> his full name is uh, the Hafidh. So he's a, a master of Hadith who has memorized many many ahadith. Abdurrahman ibn Ahmed ibn Rajab al Hanbali al Baghdadi al Dimashqi. So he's called al Baghdadi al Dimashqi because uh, I'll give you his biography. So this is one of his well known books actually. It's probably one of the more well known books regarding Hellfire in its description. He was born in Baghdad in Rabi'ul Awal of the year 736 Hijri. And he then moved from Baghdad. Uh, with his father, uh, to, they, they moved to Damascus. He was, very, he was very young, he was still very young, so that was in 744, which means um, before he, he was about eight years old or something. And there, mashallah, he studied under a number of the great scholars of uh, Damascus. He also studied with some scholars in Egypt. And then after that, he was a prolific writer He's definitely a great scholar. I mean, this is not the first book of his that I'm covering. I've actually covered uh, quite a bit of uh, some of his other books like uh, uh, The Jami' al-Ulumi wal Hikam. He has actually one of the greatest commentary on the 40 Hadith of Imam Nawawi. I mean, many of you will be aware of the 40 Hadith, the famous, you know what, it's probably the most famous collection of 40 Hadith, Imam Nawawi's. And one of the best and most extensive commentaries on that is the Jami al uloomi wal Hikam the compendium of sciences and of wisdoms which is written by Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali and there you can just tell uh, the prowess of uh, and his coverage and his scope in hadith he just quotes uh, various different hadith, and you know the scope that he had was amazing so this book also is uh, full of full of hadith and he's got a great scope in that regard so he studied uh, extensively in terms of hadith um, all the sciences related to Hadith, the sub-sciences of Hadith, he was a uh, great scholar in that regard. And he was also one of the ascetics. So um, he's, he's also one of the Zuhad, one of the Zahideen. And that was something very important. Uh, it's something very important for ulama. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a part of it as well. So he's considered from one of them. Well al ubbad He's also considered to be one of the great devotees and worship. People who are really not just with knowledge, but they have a lot of focus on their worship. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of them. Now, since he was Hambali in Fiqh and he moved from Baghdad and he came to Damascus, Damascus was not really a place for Hambalis, right? It's mostly been Shafi and Hanafi. Uh, however, um, through him numerous uh, famous and well-known and very uh, important figures uh, studied Hambali fiqh from him and in fact you could probably say that the majority of the Hanbalis that came out of damascus they they probably studied under him and i had the opportunity when i stayed in damascus to study for uh, the month that i was there i actually i actually stayed uh, in a flat in an apartment just in front in the in the small alleyway in front of the famous Masjid of these people, of the Hanbalis. It's called Jami' al-Hanabila, right? Jami' al-Hanabila, which means the Jami' or the Masjid of the Hanabila, that's where they used to be. I'm assuming that Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali was there as well. So I lived in a street just opposite, that uh, That was my local Masjid, and uh, mashallah, you know, it's, it's quite close to the Sheikh Muhyiddin area and the Rukunuddin area. So that's, that's where he was from, and he wrote numerous titles. He wrote numerous I'm not going to mention all of them right now. I've mentioned his... Compendium of uh, Sciences and um, the Wisdoms. The commentary on the Arba'in. That's a very, very well-known book. Another one is that he wrote different commentaries on other Hadith, bigger Hadith works as well. So he's got a commentary on Tirmidhi. He's also got a short. Uh, it's not a short. It's actually an incomplete, partial uh, commentary on Sahih al-Bukhari as well, which he actually also called Fathul Bari. It's also called Fathul Bari bi al-Bukhari. Uh, he's only gotten to kitab Jana is in that and he wasn't able to complete it. Then he's got a number of other books and some of the other well-known books of his is this book um, on the months of the year and the various different f- virtues of each of the months of the year. right? And that is, is the Kull Al-Lata'if. A lot of people have used that. I'm not sure if it's been translated yet but lots of people have actually um, used it. It's considered to be quite a you know, quite a, quite a good book. La Ta'iful maarif It's called La Ta'iful maarif The subtleties of the gnosis or the uh, knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. li mawasim sunnati min al Regarding the responsibilities in from the sunnah uh, during the various different seasons of the year. So anyway, I think that's enough. I think the other thing was that he held numerous gatherings in his time in which he would uh, give a lot of advices and counsels. And uh, he was very effective in that regard. You know, people really, really used to be affected by that. Now, you know, we don't have that kind of effect, but since we're covering his book, we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that may his words, you know, the coverage from his book, may his words also, inshallah benefit us and uh, find a similar benefit to, uh, you know, the actual author's words, his live words, when he was alive uh, in Damascus. And uh, mashallah. So he w- he was known to... He says, "Wakana la yari min umuri nas." He never cared for the affairs of people, in the sense that he never did gossip. He wasn't aware of what was going on among people, in the sense of you know their daily issues and things like that. And uh, yeah, he he just wasn't into that. It was. It looks like he was quite secluded in that regard. He was just focused on his knowledge. He didn't really mix with people too much. It seems. And the next thing was that he actually did not really um, at that time, you know, you had the Islamic leaders and the governors and all that. I mean, he was in a Muslim country. Obviously, he was also not one to ever go and sit uh, in their palaces or in their places and so on. He used to actually live in a madrasa, a madrasa, uh, a sukariya I think it's called in the Qassa'een area. That's where he, he lived. Now, before he passed away, it's really interesting. I'm just giving you a brief biography. There's lots of biographies written uh, about him. And much more extensively but just before he passed away he called a grave digger right he called a grave digger and he told him that uh, he, he pointed to a space and he said, i want you to dig the trench for me here i want you to dig the grave here a graveyard a trench here so the grave digger he's saying for Hafartula, i did it for him and i probably wasn't he wasn't sure what he was doing it for like who's died and so on so he says Ibn Rajab Al-Hambali rahimahullah, actually got into the grave himself and he really, he really admired it, he started saying, started complimenting it. And then after that he lay down in it and he said, Hada jayyad, this is wonderful, this is excellent. And then he came out, after a few days he passed away and thus he was buried there. SubhanAllah you know it's all you know that they that this is this is known that while nobody knows where they're supposed to die that's mentioned in the Quran that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows where anybody and everybody is going to die but based on stories like this that we know right and of people i know right i mean it's not just about great scholars of the past but there's people i know who got an inkling about when they were going to die like within the next few days they may have not known the exact time or whatever but they got an inkling that look your time is near. There are certain feelings and so on. I wish somebody you know could compile somebody, uh, something of that. And I'm sure there are books on that, sub- on that subject as well because they really really help us. These, death is a very very important important concept. It's a very important phenomena. So anyway, he passed away in Damascus in Rajab of uh, 795 Hijri. 795 Hijri. So that's essentially halfway to our uh, you know to our time. From the time of the Prophet Sallallahu to, you know, our time which is fourteen hundred and forty something. So this is just around half the halfway mark. So he lived about, you can say about seven hundred years ago or something like that, 650-700 years ago. May Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala bless him that his book has come to us and uh, insha'Allah we're going to benefit from his book. And this is all sadaqa jariya for him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 700 years after we die as well allow people to benefit from something that we have left behind. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ikhlas to do with that. Now, one of the purposes uh, of why we're covering this is, as I mentioned, we did something about paradise. And the reason we've done paradise, just to remind everybody, is because whenever we buy something or are interested in something in the world, then we generally read reviews about it in fact there's a lot of people that go onto to youtube and they watch these videos on how things work or how things are made or how things function right you know and the reason they do that is because th- they're interested in general information they're interested th- th- there are there are these twitter feeds and so on that tell you about all of these nice places in the world now you may not have any intention to actually go there right now you may not be planning but you look at that and you kind of get amazed about it oh that's in the dunya they're amazing there's some really amazing places in the world that i've personally been to right and you know they're amazing amazing places paradise is supposed to be more amazing and excellent than all of these places so the reason we covered it is that if we you know you know generally when you read the reviews of something when you see pictures of a place when you get it described to you by people you're like okay i need to go there as well Like, you know, I want to go there as well. It just brings it closer to us. It's something that creates eagerness uh, for us. So I think it's the same kind of thing for paradise. But you see, there's not just paradise. Paradise and hell are two parallels. And we want to be in paradise. But hell is also a reality. And if we don't... You see, hell is where we would just go to by default if we don't care. That's why hell becomes even more important than paradise. Right? Paradise is important but if we're not aware of Hellfire, because Paradise is going to create hope in us. When you hear about Paradise and who's entered into Paradise, who's been allowed into Paradise and, and so on, you're going to feel like, okay, you, it's going to expand the hope in us. And I'm saying this personally speaking, it's going to expand the hope in us. So if we're doing at least some good, if I'm praying five times a day, and if I'm you know, trying to fast in my Ramadan and do all of that stuff, and then if I do end up doing some sins, I feel like, well, I'm doing good anyway. So what happens is that if you don't have the fear factor, the threat factor, right? Then that means that what we are thinking is that the good deeds that we're doing they're enough and they're going to give us salvation. So yes, if we're believers then we can definitely be inshallah guaranteed as long as we stay believers until our death we're going to be guaranteed paradise one day. But do we want to have a stint in hellfire? Right? Do we want to do that? So How important does it now become to understand hellfire so that it becomes graphically detailed in our minds so that we want to avoid it? Because paradise creates eagerness towards that but that creates hope. And they say that hope is only good towards the end of your life when you're about to die, when you're in sickness or something. Otherwise we need more fear. And I think this is what a lot of people are suffering from. We don't have enough fear. We may have more hope than we have fear. Even in many people who are practicing. Because we don't have enough discussion about the fear. Fear has to be created in the heart. And as I said, by default, a person is going to go to hellfire if they don't try. Right? I mean, if they're living in a time where there's deen, where there's religion, where there's exposure to Islam, exposure to good deeds, and exposure to goodness and all the rest of it. And if they don't try hard and if they don't actively try to get to paradise, then we're going to end up in hellfire. I mean, just just keep that in mind. That is the default trajectory, right? We're going to have to end up in hellfire unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forget, uh, forgives us. But you know, how can you guarantee that? How do we know that we've got some kind of contract? I mean, You can't have a contract with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like that unless we do good. Then he said anybody who does good and fulfills all of these things, then we go to paradise. So just remember that that hellfire will become. I shudder to think about it now, right? Hellfire will become our abode if we are not actively trying to get away from it. Right? are actively not trying to get away from it. So that's why paradise is important, but hellfire becomes even more important. So may Allah subhanahu wa taala give us the be- benefit and understanding from this, because there's a lot of thing that's taking us away, that's not allowing us to remember, uh, you know, the hellfire. Even Allah subhanahu wa taala, it's not remind it's it's making us distracted, because we can spend so much time, you know, when you're tired, you can just sit and get entertained with something, whatever you want really. So that's why it's very very important to understand is to create the fear what they call the khauf right the khashia uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and mashallah the ulama knew this obviously the prophet obviously knew this that's why many many verses in the Quran are about the hellfire warning against the hellfire describing the hellfire speaking about the denizens of hellfire and that is essentially what we're going to cover today we're going to cover probably all the verses in the Quran not today but in this series we're probably going to cover all the verses and inshallah all the hadith, at least most of the hadith, inshallah regarding to eyes, regarding hellfire, so that we can get a decent understanding, right, about what it is. And, but before we, before we do that, we're actually going to speak about the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're going to speak about how different people feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us an understanding about. Now, Ibn Abi Dunya, the other book that we said that we would be basing this on is a shorter book than Ibn Rajab Al-Hambali's. It's primarily just based on hadith. The reason I say it's smaller, I mean, it's about two-thirds of the size, uh, or maybe about half to two-thirds of the size. The difference is that Ibn Rajab al hambali is a later scholar, seven something, whereas Ibn Abid Dunya was a much earlier scholar. He died, uh, you know, before 300, so he's in the time of the Abbasids, right? The early Abbasids, for that matter, and uh, he's actually. Uh, I'll I'll speak about him later. I'll speak about him later, and his book is has the full chain from him to the Prophet or to the companion. Whereas Ibn Rajab al-Hambali doesn't always do that because he's much later, and the books of Hadith have already been codified and recorded, and um, you know they've they've all been codified by that time anyway. So we're going to Ibn Rajab al-Hambali is the one who starts his chapters, and I'll and I'll go through his chapters soon. with with the discussion of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, various different people's approach to this, some of the verses and so on. Whereas Ibn Abi Dunya, he just goes into the hadith directly. So we will be covering parts of his book later because we want to speak about this. So they're not the only people that actually spoke about these subjects. There's several other books and even some very modern writers have written about these based on these uh, on these. Uh, early works. What Ibn Rajab al hanbali has done, his is very comprehensive. His is much more comprehensive than Ibn Abid Dunya's work, right? So he's got the verses of the Quran in there. He's got the Hadiths in there. He's got Athar, uh, which basically means uh, different n- narrations from the Sahaba themselves, their approach, their um, uh, their statements about uh, about Hellfire, and a number of different stories, right? Uh, how this fear of Hellfire this concern about Hellfire, this concern for our ending and where we're going to go, they've discussed that and I think that's they're, they're very very powerful, they've, they soften the heart, this is what they would call from the Raqaiq, in Arabic uh, you know in literature there's a, a genre in literature called the Riqaq or the Raqaiq which comes from the concept of uh, softening, right, softness and gentleness, so here it's actually talking about melting the heart softening the heart and uh, softening the heart uh, from the hardness that it takes on when it gets too distracted and uh, too indulged in, in the dunya. And we really need that as an antidote today. You know, if you're wondering about how to get, uh, attain balance, you know, if you're wondering how to attain balance in an unbalanced world, how to get some kind of stability, how to get some kind of, uh, some kind of stability, steadfastness, then uh, we, we, need to, uh, we, we need to really focus on this. Right, we really need to focus on this. Right, um, subhanallah. Ibn Rajab al hambali after his khutbah, which I recited at the beginning, uh, I'll just translate that because it's kind of very appropriate for the subject. He says, All praises to Allah, right, um, who uh, is the one with great uh, veneration, respect, dignity, and glorification. though. He's got uh, a very severe. Uh, a very powerful grip, right? When he comes to see somebody, al Mubdi al he's the one who initially creates. He's the one who's going to resurrect as well, and that's very relevant here. Al-fa'al lima yurid, the one who abs- has absolute volition and power to do as he wills, whatever he will- wills. And also al-muntakim, asahu bin nari ba al biha waid He's the one who can, who who can take revenge, who can avenge somebody those who have disobeyed him he can actually avenge them by punishing them with the hellfire after he's given them warning so he doesn't punish with fire um you know for no reason he's actually warned us against it and he's given us great warnings against it but then at the same time this is the balance that the islam has with regards to their understanding of allah Subhanahu. they've really understood allah Subhanahu Wa Taala well right it's not a lopsided understanding it's not a biased understanding Right? It's not a reductionist understanding. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is also Al Mukrim. He's also the honorer, the, the bestow, the the, the the one who bestows, the one who, uh, the, the one who has benevolence and generosity, right? For those who have feared Him and who have uh, been conscious of Him, He is going to gift them. He is going to honor them and gift them with an abode by Him in which there is abundant goodness and khair which is paradise. Subhanallah. So he starts off with that, he praises Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, praises and, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and describes the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and then he says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the human being So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us for the purpose that we recognize Him Now recognition of Allah means that we better be fear of Him We've seen people, right, that if there's somebody to be feared, like genuinely feared, and they don't fear them, you generally think that this person is a bit foolish. That this person is supposed to be feared because he can really harm the people, right? He can really harm someone, right? Whether it's for the right reason or the other reason, right? You're either going to call that person who doesn't fear him either very, very, very foolish or very, very, very brave. Now with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right, there can't be any brave person that's going to basically stand up to him. Anybody who does not fear Him, who doesn't understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has these things and subhanAllah, then they are really, really foolish. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it easy for us by establishing um, evidences, proofs, signs, indications, the whole world uh, towards His greatness, His power. So that we can fear Him, recognize Him, love Him, understand Him and we can fear Him in a reverent way. See, that's the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can't be cowering under the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is some kind of cold-hearted murderer or killer or punisher or something of that nature, that you just got this dread. The dread of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala needs to be one of love and affection, one of love and uh, reverence. It's a reverential fear that we fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we love Him, that we don't want Him to see us in a place where we should not be. Like we would be embarrassed. The reason we don't do something is out of fear that he'll find out. And um, we don't want him to find out anything bad about us. Right? It's the idea that we love him so much and we want him to love us so much that we don't don't want anything to encroach and violate that and spoil that, adulterate that, pollute that. So we don't want him... We just don't want him to see us in a place where he's told us not to be or away from a place where he wants us to be. You, you, can, you can actually get an understanding of this sometimes with our parents or somebody else that we love, that we don't want them to even assume we've done something wrong. That's how serious and sensitive it becomes. and That's how it should be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than anybody else <clears throat> in this world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps us tremendously you know, because he's described, he's, he's got graphic descriptions, so that's why we call this Hell Revealed, right? You know, because we, you know, we want to reveal it to us. and Believe me, the reason I'm doing this is to benefit my, myself first. I feel that I've got shortage of fear, I, want, I need more fear, to be honest, I think I've got too much hope. So, I, I really want to understand this so that I can create that fear and I can have more balance in my Iman, right? I can have more balance in my approach, more balance in, you know, my devotion. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us with this. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to tell us about this over and over again, he's not just mentioned in one place in in the Quran, he's mentioned over and over and over again, right? In fact, there's a whole concept of tarheeb, which is warning and deterrence in the Quran that's done through the hellfire. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the description, what he's prepared for his enemies, right? In terms of the punishment, persecutions, the various different aspect that, that comprises of the zakum is talking about you know, the, 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 the really thorny plant that people are going to be made to drink, uh, to eat, to consume. There's the dari, the hamim, the salasil, the aghlal, the chains uh, that, that, that are being described in, in uh, uh, the, the really, really boiling hot water that uh, people in hellfire uh, will, will, will call for a drink because they're really, really thirsty. I mean, it's a very, very hot, intensely hot place. So they're calling for something to drink. And they will be given this really, really scalding, boiling whole water, uh, hot water, which essentially is going to, I don't know how many degrees, I mean, imagine degrees, uh, drinking a th- 100 or 140 degrees hot water, Celsius, uh, you know, Celsius. That's, it says, it's, it's going to be probably more than that. And it's going to basically cut up all of their inside. Then there's the chains uh, that people will be bound by, that will be punished by, struck by, beaten by, flogged by, and so on. And all of these situations, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the purpose of that is to warn us of that. Allah doesn't want us to go there. He's prepared it because that's the nature of the human being that they may do wrong. So Allah's prepared that as a deterrence. Allah's prepared it as a deterrence. Right? That's why somebody asked the question the other day to us. Is paradise bigger or hellfire bigger? I, I would say paradise is bigger. Because hellfire is like at the bottom of the seventh earth. And that's a limited space. And that's something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will fill up. So um, when, when, para- when hellfire, the amount of people will be in hellfire. And it will still have a bit more space. It will say, min min And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will um, do something by which it will become free as uh, filled. And then that, that is it, you know, whereas with the paradise, the last person even to get out of hellfire, the biggest sinner ever living in the world, ever to have lived in the world, will have a paradise the size of 10 times this dunya. That's a huge amount of real estate. And in hellfire, it's all about being tight and constricted and being re- really, really, you know, constrained. Whereas paradise is about openness and vastness and extensiveness and expansiveness. Right, so paradise is gonna be bigger. Alhamdulillah, may Allah subhanahu wa taala grant us paradise. Whereas, hellfire is a punishment. Even in this world, you know, people who go to prison for jail, they are in confined spaces, and people who, mashallah, have luxury, they're in open spaces. Right, they're in open spaces, and that's just a reflection of what the hellfire, uh, what the hellfire in paradise is gonna be in in the hereafter. So Allah subhanahu wa taala wants us both by describing paradise to us, describing hellfire to us, is that look, you you know. Any, any person who right, is intelligent is going to want to go to paradise that's the pers- purpose of all of this, that the person uh, really tries hard then to avoid hellfire as much as possible that's why, to be honest, anybody who reflects in the Qur'an who reflects when reading the Qur'an, they, they and, and, and just thinks about this whole thing, just thinks about life and where we're going to go Allah Allah Allah, uh, the reality of hellfire is going to become very very clear Likewise, when you look at the sunnah of the Prophet, ﷺ, there's sufficient ahadith in there. Likewise, if you look at our truly righteous, practicing aslaf, the predecessors and good people that we see among us, one of the things that they had was that they were worried about hellfire. They had absolute hope in paradise, but they were definitely worried about hellfire because that's what helped them to create the taqwa and the consciousness, the scrupulousness, the particularity that I should avoid this, I should... Um, You know, subhanAllah, there's a lot of people who when they see other people who are being careful about things, who are being careful about doing the wrong, they think they're just being uptight. Right. Now, while it's wrong to go overboard and over the limits, especially, you know, to try to force people to, um, you know, force people to practice the most difficult opinions, you know, that that is, you know, difficult of, Uh, an array of valid opinions I can you know that that may not be a good idea but at the same time we mustn't be so loose just because the world in general today because of liberalism right because of the liberal world we live in right doesn't mean that we should all become liberal like that there's always going to be that struggle of the balance there's always going to be struggle of that balance but if we look at the lives of the Sahaba and the Tabi'in, they Yaqeen, Paradise and Hellfire, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was, was, was just solid. Now, the sign of all of this is that a person, you know, when they get fear of Allah, that they actually fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When's the last time that we actually feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Oh no, what's Allah going to do to me? What is Allah going to do to me? Where am I going to go? <clears throat> That's why one of the salaf uh, one of the predecessors he said khawfullah ta'ala hajaba hajaba qulub al-kha'ifin an zahrat al-dunya wa it's only the fear of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will veil somebody will veil the hearts of the fearful ones from the the glistening world that embellished dunya and from the various different desires that come up within the human being, it's only the fear of Allah that will create that veil. When we get that desire, if we don't have the fear of Allah, we will fulfill that haram desire. Dunya will blink to us, hey, there's this opportunity of making a lot of money in a short amount of time. It's you're doubtful about it, right? But there's not when when there's no fear of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, it's very easy to jump into that you have fear you're gonna start wondering about it like is this right it just sounds a bit off the heart will tell us that I mean alhamdulillah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you've got iman and a bit of khawf and taqwa in the heart Allah will give us that distinction right even if you don't have the knowledge about that particular thing and you'll want to learn about it when you don't have that then you're just like okay let me do this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then promises you see Allah never leaves us with nothing he promises Huge reward for those who fear Him. So we have to fear Him because he's beneficial, it keeps us straight in this world, it keeps us focused in this world, it helps us to prepare ourselves for a good akhirah, that investment, you know, it prepares for that good investment in the hereafter. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then promises few things to so make it easy. He says, Surah Al Rahman, you know, you should know this verse. For the one who fears, the place of his Lord, the standing of his Lord, the position of his Lord. For that person, mean the one who has the fear of Allah, right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in charge of everything, He's watching, He knows, He's the one who knows everything, He sees everything. For that person, will be two gardens, and Allah then describes them as these huge places with full of beauty, right? One of the great uh, mufassirs, exegetes of the Quran, Mujahid, his name was, he says that. This ayah tells you a few things. Number one, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in charge of everything. Right? Because he's saying, fear Allah in everything that he's standing and he, he stands for in the sense that everything that he is in charge of. Anybody then who wants to do anything, undertakes any activity, makes any decision, and he is fearful of what Allah wants him to do in that regard, the way Allah wants him to do it, and tries to follow that way then he gets two gardens and mujahid also s- uh, said another thing he said that there's a there's a man who either is doing a sin or is thinking about a sin and then suddenly he thinks of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah's standing behind everything like Allah is behind everything and then he avoids it so then he stops it it's like no 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 I can't do this right so this is that person in the verse. They'll get these two paradises. Another person is, he says, also another person is the one who wants to do a sin, right? And then he remembers Allah, so then he abandons it. So that's that's what it is. Then from Hasan al Basri, rahimahullah, uh, he 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 narrates. He says, Jannah said, Jannah asked, like Jannah is wondering, right? Ya Rabbi liman khalaqtani For whom have you created me? Now you see about 20 years ago if people, When people heard this hadith And people have been hearing this hadith for 1400 years right? But I guess In the modern scientific world They would have probably questioned How can Hellfire speak? Paradise, paradise, paradise spoke like, How can a paradise speak? Paradise is a place, how does a place speak? See today that's not very difficult to understand anymore is it? Because you've got smart objects now You've got smart Smart uh, objects, smart uh, technology, smart uh, uh, instruments. You've got smart appliances. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala created from eternity. You know, created. uh, You know, from a long time ago, rather, right? Because paradise is not uh, not from infinity. It will remain for eternity, but it's not pre-eternity. It was actually created by Allah, because there was only Allah and there was nothing else. uh, You know, at that time. So. Paradise was created, right? And Paradise was created smart. So Paradise is preparing itself. Paradise speaks. So Paradise asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Rabbi, liman khalaqtani? Oh my Lord, who did you create me for? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, liman ya'buduni, huwa ya'khafuni, for the one who worships me while he fears me. So you see, a lot of us worship Allah. I believe there's a lot of people who worship Allah But they just don't have enough fear, that's why they end up doing sins while they're worshipping. So they pray five times a day, may even pray in the masjid, but they still end up doing because they don't have the fear of Allah. They may be using their tongue, they may be doing some other sins, because the fear of Allah is not dominant, is not in front of their heart, so they don't mind doing these things. So there are two strains that we need to worry about. That's why for, actually for some ulama, what they've actually said is that it's actually superior to avoid sins if there's, if there's a choice. Superior to avoid sins than actually to do a good deed. Now obviously that's not what we, we're going to do, that just fear, you know, just stop sins and don't do any good deeds. We're going to do both, but it's just the comparison to give you the significance of it. Wahab ibn munabbih We generally get a lot of quotes from him about some really important, profound uh, ideas regarding the hereafter. He says, "Ma ubidallahu bimithlil khawf." He is basically saying that Allah cannot be worshipped, right, with anything similar, you know, as well as with 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 the fear of Allah, the the, you know the the intensity of your worship. Right? He's saying that there's, and again, this is his experience. This is just his experience that he's mentioning to us that there's nothing better than fear for for f- through which you can worship Allah. Allah can't be worshipped with anything better than fear. So fear is important. If you've not had fear all of this time, it is really time to inculcate fear. fear. Another great person of the Abu Sulaiman al-Darani, right, you must have heard his name, Abu Sulaiman al-Darani. He says, aslu, uh, aslu kulli khair Aslu kulli khair fi dunya wal al min azza wa jal. The root foundation the 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 root foundation, the cause for every goodness in this dunya and the akhirah, there has to be some fear. It has to be the fear of Allah, most majestic and most high. right you know this is what strikes fear in my heart, subhanallah, that I wish my heart could be like this. May Allah give us these kind of hearts. he's saying that um uh, make, may, allah, may allah give us hearts full of fear full of fear right because he's saying that for every heart in which there is no fear of allah that heart is desolate it's useless it's useless and i think there's a really good example for this that i'll mention to you that um, you know they say that in the business world that if you have a business right and you look after it your business is generally going to do better right But if you get a business and you give it to somebody else to look after then generally unless you're very very lucky that this person treats it as their own you're generally going to get some harm you're going to probably suffer some loss and if you don't do that then you're going to lose a lot of opportunity because the owner of a business generally always has the greatest concern for it because it's their investment it's their sweat right it's their blood you know likewise in a person's home it's the same kind of thing as long as the the lord of the house the the man of the house the woman of the house whoever it is uh, is there right it goes well there's a system and things go well and if they go away for a while then and there's nobody to look after it then it, beca- it basically the whole system uh there's a chaos in that system so it's a similar kind of idea that if you say that you consider your heart, heart like the house and the fear like the governor of the house, the lord of the house, the head of the house, the, the 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 businessman. If that fear is there, it will keep everything moving right with the right focus, right nizam, the right system. The fear leaves or the fear is diminished. Like somebody just visits, you know, there's a business where somebody just visits like two hours in the morning. So everybody's very behaved in the, in, in in that time. After that, they start slackening off. This is the experience of a lot of people with business and with work, right? So. That's why there needs to be a supervisor. So, fear is that supervisor for our our purposes in the uh, our activities in this world. Take fear out, diminish the fear, and things start messing up. Subhanallah. What, uh, what uh, I, I really agree with this, right? The this anecdote. This is, uh, yeah, this is related from Wahib ibn al Ward, right? son of the rose, Waheyb ibn al Ward. Basically he says that when a person develops the fear of Allah and they've got the fear in their heart and everything is being organized in the proper way, then he's saying that such a person may go past a gathering of people, like go past people. And today you don't have to go past people, you just have to be up there on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, people just need to know about you. So let's talk about the person who doesn't have fear in the heart first. A person who doesn't have fear, he may even you know, be making himself out to be a religious person maybe um, even a knowledgeable person but he doesn't have fear in the heart people are going to just be inclined it's just that fear has such a inductive effect right you can't see fear in the heart you can't see it but it seems like by induction you can assess it you can feel it you get the vibe of it that's what this statement means right he's saying that if a person who's devoid of fear in the heart it's just dunya 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 right he goes past people people are just going to say bits al abd Hada, bits al abd fulan you know bits al abdu fulan that person is such a bad person so then one of them is going to ask him why did you say that what did you see about him like what's wrong with him that you're saying that so they they would say we don't know we've not seen him (laughs) we we've actually not seen anything like that but we just have this hatred for him in the heart. Now, you know, be careful with this. Just because you feel bad about somebody doesn't mean it's right, right? Because obviously in here, this is a very specific experience that they're talking about. Just because you and your friends feel bad about somebody because they don't go according to your view, that doesn't necessarily mean that a person is devoid of the fear of Allah. Subhanahu Wa Taala, Right? I just want to clarify that before you start using that as like some kind of benchmark. On the other hand, though, I would say that this is probably even more truer and more universally applied that if somebody does have a does have fear, mashallah, their heart is full of fear in the heart, right? They would generally feel inclined to this person, they would feel they'll say ni'mah wallahi rajul. This person is really good. Right? It's just this feeling you have about such people. So then somebody might ask you that what did you see about this person? I don't know, I just feel like he's a nice guy, man. I just feel like He's got something nice about him, right? He's got the fear of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Now there could be so many other nice things. It might get may, may be very. There may be a person that you like because he's very generous. There may be a person because he's got always a smile on their face, right? Because they're very sweet. You know, these can be other reasons. This is talking about a very specific kind of situation. Then after that, Fudayl Ibn Iyad. I mean, I've uh, we've actually got a biography of his online on Zamzam Academy, right? Fudayl Ibn Iyad, rahimahullah. He says, al khawfu afdalu min al-raja. Right? This is fear is always gonna be superior to have and more virtuous to have than just mere hope. Maqana Rajul Sahihan, as long as a person is healthy, we need more fear. If we're healthy, we got money and we got security, uh, we need more fear. Right? And uh, but once death is looming in front of you, then in that case you need more hope because shaitan tries to then overdo the fear to basically make a person despondent, and that's not good either. Now, Ibn Rajab al-Hambali, after mentioning these few anecdotes, he says that I made istikhara, right? I sought um, assistance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to compile together a book in which I'm going to describe hellfire. Like, should I do it or not? Should I do it or not? Obviously, he's coming later after which, you know, before whom... Several other people have done so already, but he's asking, should I do another one? Because, you know, um, there, there's, there's still a need for the other one. So I want to write a book about hellfire and everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has prepared for his enemies. The humiliation, the punishments, the destruction, the loss, and all of that. Why do I want to do this, it says? So that it be something which will help to uproot the deviance among people the wrong that they're doing, the rights that they're taking of other people and so on, and which would encourage them to gain success and guidance. Because he's saying that in his time, you know, 700 years ago he's talking, he's saying because a lot of hearts, a lot of people, especially during these times, laziness has overcome them laziness and sloth has overcome them and they've just allowed themselves to be overcome and taken over and bowled over by their desires and subhanallah if he was to come here he would see all of these dessert parlors now you're like what have you got against this i have nothing against i enjoy a dessert once in a while i love desserts to be honest right but it just shows the indulgence i mean 10 years ago they weren't there was probably one or two dessert parlors, right, that you could think about. Now there's one on every street. Subhanallah, it's the next big big thing. You know, people spend as much as they spend on food, if not more, on desserts. What does that tell you about, you know, shahwa, desire? Again, intrinsically, there's nothing wrong with it. It's because of the abundance. Right? Why is it 10, 15, 20, years ago, people did not have such indulgence of desires, if you, uh, sorry, of just desserts? And I'm not talking about anything else. If you look at everything else, it's the same thing. If you just assess and estimate the amount of desserts which people are indulging in today and which are being sold right, today and that are available, you've never probably had that much dessert available and being sold and being consumed in the world probably ever. Because we have more people in the earth than before, right? Desserts, having a dessert parlor everywhere like, and so many different ones and everybody's competing with desserts for big ones and more decadent desserts and so on, right? And as I said, an odd dessert here and there is no problem. But just the whole aspect that you have to go there. And that it, the demand is what's, you know, it's the demand which is creating such a supply. We've probably never had this much before. And that's not just, it's just an example. If you look at sweets, right, or anything which is drinks, um, clothing, it's everything. Um, haram aspects. You know, before to commit a haram, you had to go out of your house looking for somebody to commit the haram. we seeing if they're available at that particular of the time of day or night or whatever, you know, and all the rest of it. Today, you, you can just do whatever you want from the, uh, from the corner of your house, from the, you know, from the middle of your bed or whatever you want to say the amount that is available today that so if ibn rajab al-hambali is complaining about his time right in damascus which has always been a wonderful place mashallah right then imagine what he would say today when he's seeing what he's seeing so that's why he's saying that that's why i wrote this book and he's saying that such indulgence in desires can only be taken out from the heart by two things one is imma muharrik or muhrik right either to have a really inflamed fear that is really going to bother you that no you can't do this or be careful about this that's one like this intense amount of effect effect of, of fear or shawqun mubhij muqliq or basically this just ultimate intense desire for paradise, for the, for the happiness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have to have one of those two things. right? You have to have one of those two things. And then he says that, so I call this kitab, Kitab al Min Al-Nar Wa at-ta'rif bi Al-Bawar which I mentioned to you early. that I call this book, the book of um, threatening people, uh, creating fear of hellfire and uh, providing a description and uh, describing the state of the abode of destruction. And he says that I've, got, I've, uh, I've, come, I've put it into 30 separate parts, I've divided it into 30 chapters and we, It's only Allah who we can ask, it's only Him we can petition to uh, help us and uh, keep us away from the hellfire and that he put a veil, a hijab, bainana wa bainaha, right, bimannihi wa karami, through his grace and so on. his generosity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put a veil. So, just to give you an idea of how we're going to do the next so many weeks, inshallah, right, the first chapter of his is regarding the verses and so on that discuss, the that provide the warning from hellfire, right, that provide the warning about hellfire. And then the second one is about the various different states. I'm I'm really looking forward to that chapter to be honest, right? Because it talks about the states of different people with regards to their fear of the hellfire. And I think, inshaAllah, we can learn from other human beings like that. And then after that, he talks about a few other things. And then from the fifth chapter, he starts to describe the different elements of hellfire. So he'll talk about hellfire. He'll talk about the different layers of hellfire, its depth. He'll talk about it's intense darkness. He talks about the, the intense heat. He talks about how it blazes and how it, do, how it does its work. Uh, it's shrieking, it's smoke, it's valleys, it's mountains. Apparently there's, SubhanAllah, there's... Uh, hellfire has valleys, it has mountains, it has wells, it has springs, it has lakes, but not like the ones in paradise, obviously. Uh, the chains, the various different types of punishment, the stones and the rocks of hellfire, right? Because the stones in paradise, they're going to be made of like gold and silver. I mean, subhanAllah, you know. Anyway, the snakes and the scorpions of hellfire and the, the food and the drink of hellfire, the, the clothing of the people of hellfire, the size of the people of hellfire, the ugliness of the, the people of hellfire. The various different punishments, how they will cry, their, how their reactions will be and I think I think that's enough inshallah. We ask Allah to protect us, we ask Allah to make this a means of protection for us, a means of developing the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and fear of hellfire and love for paradise, a zeal for paradise and uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect everybody and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless the author of this book and everybody that's worked hard to get it to where where it is today so that we can actually be covering it like this from London and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless humanity assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh